Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You know why you probably don't like kale? It's because you're not massaging your kale. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You that's, need to massage. That's not, 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 not going to happen. Yeah, soften it up, Charlie. Seriously, I have been in restaurants. My wife will attest to this. And I have actually said something to the wait staff that they need to be massaging their kale no. back there. Okay, what did the they salad say? salad I ate. I'll bet you did. I do. I want to be a fly on the wall for that. I'm Charlie Arnott with Look East and the Center for Food Integrity, dedicating my career to keeping food trustworthy. I'm Susan Schwally, president of the Food and Beverage Practice at the MPD Group. I'm fascinated by why people eat and drink what they do. And I'm Kevin Ryan, your resident food nerd and founder of Malachite Strategy and Research. And I've developed innovation and strategy for dozens of CPG brands from Green Giant to Haagen-Dazs. And we are the Three Squares, dishing on the food industry. And thanks again to General Mills for their support of this podcast. We're uncovering the interesting stories in food and talking to today's movers and shakers. You know, it was so fascinating in our in our last episode when we can, kind of had the, 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 the techno off between Kevin and Mike and learned a lot about the innovation. And it's really interesting when you think about how forward-looking that is and going all the way back to the beginning of food with very basics like yeast and water and grain. Yeah. We went from wheat, which is just gluten, and yeast, which is flatulence. <laughs> <laughs> bread is a solid. Flatulence is a gas. <laughs> yes. What do you think makes bread rise? Right. And, and puts the bubbles in there. Oh, yeah. The off-gassing. Yeah. Okay. So yeast goes around, eats all the sugars and all the good things in bread, and it 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 lets go off or gases off and off gases. I wouldn't say off gas, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It it lets some it lets off some gas. Okay. The old yeast flatulence. Okay, so what you're saying is something that is yeast has been around. Hey, made bread, made civilization. And now what you're saying is innovation is taking it in a new direction and creating postbiotics and all kinds of things out of it. But now we've actually taken yeast and said, hey, why don't you make this specific thing? So that that's a little synthetic biology there. You're saying yeast has got more runway. And today we're going to be talking about how we take some of those same basic building blocks and how they play into technology and the evolution of food, which is really pretty remarkable. That's what makes today's guest so exciting. So we're going to be talking to uh, Florian Schattenmann. He's Cargill's Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Innovation and Research. And we're excited that he's joining us from Cargill, directly on site. Because he can talk more eloquently about yeast. I'm excited to have him on because... Cargill sits at the, you know, the, the forefront of food technology when it comes to uh, beverage, food, agriculture. And our table discussion with Florian is next. At General Mills, we know it's not just what we make, but how we make it that matters. We take care in selecting the ingredients behind our beloved brands, such as Cheerios, Nature Valley, Old El Paso, Haagen-Dazs, and Annie's. And we go further by working every day to alleviate hunger, slow climate change, and strengthen communities. Today, that's what it means to make food the world loves. Learn more at GeneralMills.com. I'm sure Flor- Florian is like probably moving from meeting to meeting, so I'll give him a... 
give him a hot minute. That's all right. It's all right. I'm doing I'm doing a double butt on uh, Memorial Day weekend. And some greens and some beans and some cornbread with cream corn and sour cream in it. Pair that with your smoked butt. Sounds good. There you go. All you need then is an elastic waistband and a cold beer. <laughs> and that sums up my entire Memorial weekend. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a good thing to put on like an invite. Must bring an elastic waistband. Bring your Sansa belts, boys. We're going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. Oh. There's Florian. Hi, guys. How are you? Yeah, very good. I had to scramble a little bit. Somehow we had quite some storms in Minnesota, and uh, uh, the power went out about four hours uh, ago at our house where I originally had planned to do this. And so now we're uh, doing it. Uh, I found another, another place to huddle up. That's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Charlie and Susan, I am very excited. Uh, I want to introduce you to Florian Schottenmann. Uh, Florian is Cargill's chief technology officer, and he's the vice president of innovation and research and development. Uh, He oversees a global team creating value for Cargill and its customers via research application and product development and technical service support across agriculture, food, animal feed, and bioindustrial markets. Uh, He also leads the strategic growth business accelerator at at the company, designing to accelerate scale cross-enterprise innovation and science-driven strategic growth businesses. And prior to joining Cargill, Florian held leadership roles at Dow Chemical Company, uh, Sulf Company, and GE Bear Silicones. Uh, Florian is a certified Six Sigma Master Black Belt, which that's actually really impressive to actually get to there. Uh, he holds seven U.S. patents, which we could definitely probably talk to. That's exciting in and of itself. And he has numerous publications. Um, he earned his Ph.D. in inorganic chemistry from MIT, and he holds a degree in chemistry from the Technische Universität uh, München in Germany. Hope I said that right. My German's rusty. Uh, and personally, I'll have to say, I've had the pleasure of speaking with Florian on numerous occasions, and I've heard him speak on technology and innovation, and I always find myself learning something new. So, Florian, Charlie, and Susan, thank you very much for joining us on Three Squares. Thank you. So, I'm going to jump right into some questions. Uh, and uh, specifically, I'm very interested in alternative protein. I've been reading online, uh, you know, in the food industry journals, a lot about Cargill's uh, work in alternative proteins and specifically how it kind of uh, dovetails with sustainability technologies. You know, what is Cargill doing with alternative proteins and, you know, some of the challenges and opportunities that you see in that space? Great. Uh, terrific question. And uh, it's also a passion of mine, I have to say. Um, I would say there's really two main areas that we're following. One of them is plant-based. And then the other one, we're really taking uh, cells of an animal and then grow it in, in a bioreactor environment in the, the, the entire space of cultivated uh, protein. I would say that the really big challenges are, number one, it's always taste. When you look at the first phase of alternative plant-based proteins, it was all about the word alternative, really trying to mimic the taste and so on, regardless of what the ingredient bill looks like and so on. Um, as this now moves along, I think the, the consumer will really want to have uh, a, a clean ingredient bill, a short ingredient bill and so on. So I think that's really the, 
the, the, the main challenges on the plant-based side. When you go to the cultivated side, um, it's, it's, uh, I think the, the two biggest potential challenges are what is the ultimate consumer acceptance, right? So I think there will be certain portions of the population that will be excited to try something new, um, but there will be probably uh, portions that will, that will remain a little bit uh, on the skeptic uh, sideline, right? So that's one. And then number two is um, it's going to be a pretty capital-intensive process. Now, animal protein, at, at the way we project it, is not going to go away anytime soon. Actually, as a matter of fact, it, it, we still project growth in animal protein too. And from our point of view, from my point of view, all of these technologies, all of these uh, food uh, you know, options have to work very deliberate, deliberately on sustainability. I think whatever we do, every one of those tracks will have to have some real challenges to overcome. That's fascinating. Florian, this is so exciting to have you on the on the show today because the, the breadth of topics you're able to cover is is truly impressive. So I'm going to shift gears here a little bit and talk a little bit about gut health. Uh, you know, it's been on the radar of the food industry for some time, but it's just now started to get some consumer traction. Where do you see that evolving in the future? And what unique technologies and solutions is Cargill going to be offering as it relates to gut health? The body of evidence and the exponentially skyrocketing um, a body of scientific work really suggests that uh, it is amazing how much of our physical but also mental health is directly uh, connected with the diversity of our gut flora and, and all this microbiome health and so on. So um, I think we've only scratched the surface here really in the simplest sense. Um, we're looking at probiotics, so the, the good organisms, if you want, the prebiotics, that's the food for the good, for the good uh, bacteria, for the good microorganisms. And then also something that actually Cargill is leading the way is this idea of postbiotics, which is actually the metabolites that come out of a fermentation process. And, and so uh, we, when, when you specifically ask about our Cargill portfolio, it's an emerging portfolio. Our flagship is, is, is a brand called Epicor, which is a postbiotic. Um, when it comes to prebiotics, um, we're, um, we're things like inulin, and I think that's something that we want to strengthen. Um, and, then, and then on the probiotic side so far, we have really focused a lot on collaboration. Collaboration with venture investments, so BioGaia and uh, Evolve Biosystems. So those are some of, the, so, uh, some of the, the, the smaller companies we're working together. We have investments there and also collaboration. So, Charlie, I can... I can only imagine how this, uh, if we had the same discussion five, ten years from now, how much more this will be advanced and how much more we will rely on that. I spoke at a gut health event. It was a Zoom thing, and they sent me a gift back, and Epicor was one of the things they sent. It was just sitting here on my desk. That is awesome. I'm hoping you're taking it. I am, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is why I'm glowing today. <laughs> you know, this is a really fascinating time, and I've, I've, I've spoken quite a bit about this. We're really seeing kind of the, the end of globalization, first with Brexit, now with the war in Ukraine. Uh, food inflation is at unprecedented levels. It feels a bit like we're in uncharted waters, and the, the security that we've taken for granted in agriculture might be in peril today. Do you think that, that that's causing a, a, a new awareness and a potential receptivity of new technologies that we need to have more resilience in our supply chain and in our production? So are you seeing any change in people's willingness to accept new technology, whether it's gene editing or crop bioscience? Charlie, who exactly knows how it's going to play out? What I do think is 
that similar to COVID, which ultimately led to the acceleration of some trends that already kind of existed. So I think areas like synthetic biology, ferment, precision fermentation, these new technologies that you mentioned, right? Some of those things just basically got a little bit of a tailwind. So I, I, my assumption is yes, but not necessarily that it, it's because it's just accelerated. Uh, uh, it's you know it's uh, throughout uh, throughout these developments. That's probably where I would sit today. But ask me in two years again. In the news, we read about Cargill forming technological partnerships with other companies and groups. Can you talk a little bit about how Cargill's approach and your philosophy with partnerships, um, how that's evolved over time? So I'm in with Cargill for about three and a half years. Uh, but when you come from the outside is the point I'm making. You take a look at an industry and it became very clear that we are apparently in a really dynamic environment, not driven by these big CPGs or big food companies, really driven by the startup world and the venture world. And maybe I throw another little fact in here. In 2013, total deal volume was $2.3 billion. Last year, it was $52 billion. So, I mean, think of another industry that has that kind of deal volume on the, on the venture side, right? And so, looking forward now, we're looking at this as, you know what? We have multiple vehicles at our disposal, including internal R&D, which will not go away, which we will still very much be focused on. Um, but we also have that, uh, you know, this idea of external uh, R&D and working in collaboration. We can make venture investments and use those for strategic uh, relationships. And I think that mindset actually is really helping us. So I'm excited where we can take this, to be honest with you. And, and it's, it's, with, it's with startups, it's with it's with universities, it's with large companies, it's with everyone. Is there any particular partnership or collaboration that sticks out in your mind as something that's been a big success that, that you're comfortable sharing with us? There's a few things that I can't really <laughs> talk and talk about uh, at, at, at this point. In your undisclosed location. <laughs> no, one, one that comes to mind is easily is Stevia. And if you look at the, at, at the Stevia extract, um, it has hundreds of compounds in there. The two compounds that have incredible sweetness, they are only made by the plant at very low concentration, about 1%, right? So we worked together with DSM and created uh, um, you know, a, a precision fermentation process to, make, to, to basically tinker with the yeast to make those types of compounds at, uh, at high yields. And I think that's a great story because it's a better product, a better process with a better sustainability footprint and all this where we put the strength of two companies together. So I, it's, it's really hard to argue with something like this. So let me, let, me, uh, let, me, uh, let me end on that one because I think that's probably the best example. Yeah, that's an amazing example. Is that, is that commercially available? Absolutely. It's called Eversweet and please, uh, Eversweet. That's it. You know, when Kevin uh, first posed his question about uh, protein alternatives to you, you really lit up about that. And I think you even mentioned that, that you have a lot of passion for is there anything else on the horizon that you see in terms of technologies um, coming down the line that really excite you? I actually like to think sort of in things that are connected. So there's several areas. Um, one area that I'm, I'm excited is we all start with a crop. And then what, what can we do to take the maximum value from that crop, right? Clearly the stuff that we can eat, that's easy. We take that out. But what are the 
what are the buying products or side streams that we can valorize and so on. So I think the the idea of making either intermediates for the chemical industry or or, or taking or or making uh, or making kind of adhesives or or additives or what, what have you or beauty care products out of those side streams. I think is a super exciting area, and I think it will it will go into this entire budget of sustainability and so on. I think it will it will be a great story. Number two, I would say this entire area of precision fermentation and basically and and, and maybe maybe even broader like synthetic biology, right, where you take biological systems and make all kinds of discrete molecules or or or, or solutions with that. I think is is it's really uh, is really getting. Uh, Getting me very excited uh, around that, um, and then I think that we talked, we touched upon this a little bit before. This entire area of microbiome science, right? And I've been always a huge believer in human ingenuity and, and finding ways to make it happen, and uh, and so I'm super excited about the future and and, and, and how it's going to play out. And I think Cargill has a real opportunity to redefine itself, where it sits in the supply chain, the value chain. To really make a huge dent here, so that's that's really why I'm why I never look back uh, into you know leaving leaving one industry to go to an ag industry the way we are here right now. Couldn't be more excited right now. Great, that's fascinating. I could sit down and ask you questions for three hours. I mean the <laughs> the insight you have and the breadth of your experience and the kinds of things you're talking about just triggered another dozen questions in my mind. So yeah, it's very very interesting, and your expertise is spot on. Yeah. There's, there's hours of, of stories that, that you could cover, and it's it's just it's just a fascinating area. It's it's you gotta be in the right industry at the right time. I think I think I think that's what it boils down to, and it, and it just happens to be that this this industry is in, the, in, in a super exciting. Yeah, time, so. absolutely, absolutely. I, I I think that's what I love so much about food is is that it's at the nexus of all of those sciences. It all comes together here. It all comes together here. And with that, Florian, I want to thank you very much for your time. I know you're 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 very busy, uh, and uh, but I want to thank you for taking the time just to chat with us and and give us your thoughts on all of these really cool things that are coming down the pipeline. So thank you for your time. Wait a minute. Can we talk about Kevin like breaking out the full on German for the school or whatever in the intro? I took German for four years. I didn't know that. You did? Four years. And all I can say is that I have a pencil and my pencil is yellow. That's about <laughs> all I got in me. Have a blind stift, my blind stift is geld. That's it. That's all I got. It doesn't come up in a conversation. It doesn't come up in a conversation very much. Schneeflauken? Yes. Yes. And Staubsauger? I don't know what that means. Vacuum cleaner. Okay, vacuum cleaner. I can say snowflake and vacuum. <laughs> That's all I got. My, my German half is really proud. That's all I got. <laughs> exactly. Well, before we get too far off track, though, I'd love to I love to chat about some of the stuff that Florian said, because I think there's so much there. There's so much there. Charlie, like you even said, you could talk for oh my God. hours with him. There's just so much. I would have loved, and there were so many paths we could have gone down, because Cargill's involved in everything. And obviously, he has an amazing mind and yeah. a grasp on so many different topics. We could have gone down. Yeah, we, we could have done three hours easily and just scratched the surface. Yeah. The one that I'm really interested in, he mentioned it in one of his you know favorite things, so to speak, of, of technology coming up is uh, the the what I would call upcycling 2.0. You know, mm. it's not just uh, taking, you know, green beans that were left over from whatever. He's talking about taking the silage and the husks and everything else and turning them into something that's 
usable and actually valuable. Right. And then also having a sustainability element to it. I think that's just, that is, if that comes to pass, which it sounds like it very well might, that is amazing. Yeah, no, I think it's really important, Kevin. I like the fact that you talked about it as 2.0 because a lot of the upcycling right now is really bad. The products just aren't very good. Yeah. Um, and you you have to be committed to a purpose to even buy them. But, you know, it kind of goes back to his earlier point that he said about alternative proteins. If you can't compete on taste and price, forget it, right? Those are table stakes. And there are a lot of people that are very purpose-driven, which is admirable. But the most, the, you know, the, the mass, vast majority of consumers, if you can't compete on price and taste... The rest of it doesn't matter. His his whole take, his overall take um, on the meat alternatives um, from the standpoint of saying it, animal protein's not going away anytime soon. No. And it's it's not. Yeah. And that that sustainability in that space will also move forward over time as these other areas like the cultivated protein and the plant-based will evolve. But genius for Florian to look at it and say, it's going to come down the line. It's going to play out in all three areas, and it's going to evolve. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not an either-or. Um, and I love that that viewpoint. And he is one of the few people that can influence in all three areas. Yeah, yeah, because they play everywhere. The other thing I thought was really interesting was the, the partnership piece. I mean, the idea that they're not... Yes. They've come to the realization that they can't do everything, which totally makes sense. I mean, even this company as large as Cargill can't do it all. And the idea that they need the partnerships in order to, and I mean, the way he even said it, he's like, it, it, you know, it just became obvious that we don't have every strength, er, you know, everything. But I think that's a trend you're seeing across more companies, don't you, Kevin, as people yeah, realize that, that particularly as he was talking about all of the, the innovation that's taking place and the startups. Um, and not the large CPGs. And I think, I think the larger organizations yeah. are realizing our solution doesn't have to be acquiring them. Our solution can be partnering with them. And how do we leverage our strength with what the, with the innovation and energy they're bringing to the table? And to me, that makes a world of sense because they will be able to use their scale to really accelerate the impact of some of this technology. And yet they're able to leverage the innovation that the technology uh, inventors are bringing to the table. So it's, it's a great relationship. Hey, it's time to What the Food with our resident food nerd, Kevin. There are so many different food allergies and sensitivities out there. I personally have several that I won't bore you with, but every once in a while I hear about some sort of crazy reaction to a food that you wouldn't even think about. So, Kevin, can you help us out that? What, what is going on? with food allergies. And I should preface by saying I'm not an immunologist, but I do play one on a podcast. <laughs> uh, there are some really interesting ones out there that you sometimes run across in food literature that I just kind of, you know, always stick in my mind. Is a true food allergy, and it's caused by uh, the bite of a tick called the Lone Star Tick, uh, not named after Texas. Yep. It's got a little star on its back. Oh. It's actually from the Midwest. Sometimes it's called the Turkey Tick, which is my, I like that name better. Uh, and it, if you get bit by it, uh, it may make you allergic to meat. Yep. So it actually, there is a sugar in meat that you become allergic to, uh, alpha-galactose, and also called alpha-gal. Uh, and it, you become allergic to that. And it's actually uh, horrible for the folks that, that have it because you're allergic to most kinds of meat, and it goes on for years in some cases. I'd actually heard about the Lone Star Tick because my son-in-law is a big morel mushroom hunter. Mm. Mm. And so he frequently comes in contact with ticks and is always making sure that he brushes them all off. And he was telling me about the Lone Star Tick as a particularly uh, unpleasant yes. tick bite to, uh, to get because you would then be subject to that allergy. Well, I hopefully he doesn't get bit by the tick because that would just be, that would be bad. That would be bad. Is there a morel 
reaction? I have a negative reaction to bad alcohol. When I get too much bad alcohol, it tends to make me not feel good. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there. And that public service announcement about Tick Awareness Week from Kevin was very much appreciated. Thanks again to General Mills for their support of this podcast. If you like what you're hearing and you would like to support Three Squares as a sponsor, you can drop us a line at threesquaresmail at gmail.com. That's the number three, squaresmail at gmail.com. And in addition to reaching our audience, you also get a private 90-minute consultation with the Three Squares about your company and your products. So again, drop us a line, threesquaresmail at gmail.com. That's the number three again, squaresmail at gmail.com. Three Squares, Dishing on the Food Industry, is created by Charlie Arnott, Susan Schwally, and Kevin Ryan. Thanks to our producers, Dave Beezing and Jason Jackson at Sound That Brands. And of course, most of all, thanks to you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a rating and review, follow for future episodes, share it with your friends, and you can follow us on LinkedIn. We're at Three Squares Podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll set the table again soon on Three Squares. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.